It's a challenging word because it requires us to take something that we possess, our time, our talent, our treasure, and give it away in faith that it is pleasing unto God. I think the King's Kids lesson was very, very illustrative of uh, how God is jealous for our time, our talents, and our treasure. See, God is a giving God. That's part of his basic nature. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever should believe on him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. God is a giver. Throughout the the Bible, and specifically in the New Testament, there are several sections that illustrate to us that God loves to give. He has given gifts to us. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Also in Romans chapter 12. And again in Ephesians chapter 4. God has given gifts unto mankind and to the church, whereby the church might be blessed and subsequently be a blessing. So God is a giver. That's part of His basic nature. And we are what? We are image bearers of God. God created man in His image. Of all of the creation, wonderful as it is, there was only one created being that was created in the image of God, and that was Adam. And then subsequently Eve. So we are image bearers of God. So when we give, we are carrying out the very nature of God in our lives. So the second word, it's a challenging word. It's especially difficult when someone else is exhorting us to give of our time, of our talent, of our treasure. And unfortunately, there are a lot of manipulations that occur uh, within the church, unfortunately, Uh, to get people to give in various ways. And I don't want that to be the case in this church. Your giving should be free will. It should be because of a recognition of God's work in your life, His presence with you, and your desire to please Him. It shouldn't be because I'm trying to force you to do something. God loves a cheerful giver. Someone who can literally laugh while they are giving away what is theirs. Now, I want to talk about the why of giving of our time this morning. And and I won't be too long. um, But this is important. Why should we give of our time unto God? Well, I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 5. And it says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, I'm going to read through the first 14 verses. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice unto God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, which are out of place, Rather, there should be thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, because for of such things God's wrath 
comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live then as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light then becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. That is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, for Christ will shine upon you. So Paul here is telling the Ephesians, because they are light and not darkness, that their lives should look different from those who are disobedient to the faith those who have not yet believed in Christ Jesus and given their lives over to Him. He says that there should not be any kind of uh, uh, presence of darkness in our lives and in our midst. Even coarse joking, he says, is out of place. Rather, we ought to be focused on thanksgiving. Now, this is a high, high bar, a high standard. And I want to reiterate to you that... It's not what we do that saves us. So very important that you understand this. Particularly as we talk about becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Our salvation, our entrance into the kingdom of God is by grace through faith. It's not a matter of works lest anyone should boast. So understand that, settle that in your mind and in your heart. Your salvation comes purely and simply through believing in Jesus Christ, trusting in His finished work, that He took your sin upon Himself, He was crucified in payment of that sin, and that He rose again from the dead on the third day, proving that He had victory over sin and over death. And as we trust in Him, we are saved. And as I said during the communion devotional, we receive His righteousness. And He looks upon us as radiant, beautiful, lovely, enticing. That is how God sees us. But because of that, because God has done such a wonderful work in our lives, that same section in Ephesians chapter 2, for you are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast, is followed by this passage. For it is God who is at work in you. God who is at work in you to carry out the, His righteousness. He has, and I want to I read this because it's, it's a really powerful section. He says, You have been created in Christ Jesus as His masterpiece to do good works which God prepared beforehand that we should do. So we are saved by grace through faith, a gift of God, but we are also God's masterpiece and He has created us to do good works, to live a life that is characterized by light and not by darkness. And that is what he then begins to talk about in chapter 5. So I want to give you three things that give you a why for giving of your time. First, in verse 15, it says, Be very careful then how you live. Because of all the stuff Paul has just talked about, about darkness that surrounds us. 
Paul says, be careful then about how you live. In the Greek, the the word actually means uh, to inspect all around, to look over the whole circumference of your life and inspect it. And don't be unwise, but rather be wise. So be circumspect or careful or wise about how you spend your time. What you invest your life in. There's all of these other things that surround us. That is true, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But Paul says that you have to circumspectly look at your life and determine where the light is and remain there. Wake up, sleep, arise from the dead. Let Christ shine on you. So we have to be careful. We have to be cautious. We have to be wise about how we expend our time. We can't be flippant about it. We can't just float through life and follow the crowd wherever the wave goes and expect that our lives will subsequently be characterized by light. That's not how it works. You have to step out of the darkness, out of the crowd, to live that life of good works that God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. So you have to be, as Christy was doing with the King's Kids, aware that God is jealous of your time. He does not want you walking in darkness, but in life. So be circumspect, be careful, be wise about how you live. Then in verse 16, he says, Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, the, the word there in, in verse 16 that says making the most, in, in most tr- translations, it's translated as redeeming the time. The word redeeming literally means in this section to purchase out of. It's, it's a term that was used for redeeming slaves from the slave market. You would purchase a slave out of the slave market by paying the redemption price. And here Paul says that we are to redeem our time. In other words, we are to pull it out of the slave market of sin, the darkness of the world, into the light and make the most of every opportunity that we have. So we are to redeem our time, pull it out of the darkness, because the days are evil. Now, I don't think it it takes a whole lot of convincing to point out that we live in troubled times. Perhaps mankind has always lived in troubled times from the time that Cain slew Abel. But Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, points out that in the last days, it's going to be significantly different. Now, the apostles called the times in which they lived the last days. So how much more the days in which we live 2,000 years later? But listen to what Paul says. Mark this. In other words, make note of it. Understand. Be aware. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, and without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, but rather treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So Paul says, in the last days, 
perilous times are going to come. So the days are evil, Paul says here in Ephesians 5. How much more as we walk in these very last days? And I'm not going to go through a litany of all of the darkness that surrounds us. But it, it's rampant. And most of you know that. So the days are evil. Redeem your time out of those days of darkness. Make a focused, intentional decision to live your life as a wise, circumspect disciple of Jesus Christ. Giving of your time unto the work of the Lord. And then it says in verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So, we don't want to be foolish or unwise. We want to understand what God's will, God's purpose, God's pathway for us is. Now, when you take a trip and you map it out, and this is your beginning point, and this is your destination point, and you have uh, waypoints along the way that you're going to stop at. If you have a desire to arrive at that destination point, what are you going to be focusing on during that trip? The map, right? Make sure that you hit your waypoints so that you get to your destination. That's what Paul is talking about here in verse 17. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. How am I supposed to live my life? How am I supposed to be circumspect and wise with regards to walking in the light? It's through the Word of God. It's through the revelation that God has given to us in this book, the Bible. So we are not to be foolish. We are to map out our course. We are to understand that God has prepared a path beforehand that we should walk in it. And we should understand that that path is discerned through prayer and through the study of this Word. Primarily, at least. There are other ways God leads us, of course. So, so we have to be circumspect, careful, wise about how we live our lives. We have to redeem our time out of the days of evil and darkness in which we live. And we have to understand what the will of the Lord is for our lives so that we can live fruitful, productive, significant spiritual lives. Not just floating through, not just hoping things turn out the way uh, we want them to, but understanding what the Lord's will is. I see it so often, so have you, people who just literally have wasted their lives. They look back on the path that they have taken. They think, oh my gosh, what have I done? Now, Paul, at his deathbed, said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the faith. Or, I, yeah, I fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. That's what God wants every one of us to be able to say. And He wants to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. Enter now into the joy of your Lord. So the why of giving of our time is because 
God has scripted it for each one of us. He has laid it out for us in his word. And each one of our lives is, is, is wonderfully unique and, and beautiful according to God's uh, intention for us. We don't all look the same. We all don't all live the same. But we can all walk in the light as he is in the light. James said that our lives are like a vapor of smoke. Now, if we had a vapor machine here in front of us, what would it be doing? There would be a, a vapor showing, and then what would happen? It would be gone. And that's how James describes our lives. Here and then gone before we know it. And in the context of eternity, the 70 or so years that each of us are privileged to live is indeed just that, a vapor. Now sometimes we think we have all the time in the world. Like Mick Jagger sang back in the 60s, time is on my side. It's not true. Time is always moving always escaping us. Are you intentional about capturing, redeeming the time of your life? And I want to conclude with this. Uh, Because time is precious, because our lives have such a brevity to them in the context of eternity, I want you to think about this as we talk about the why of giving of our time. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a passage of Scripture that actually found its way into popular song back in the 60s. I'm going to read it here. It's right before Isaiah. There we go. Because uh, there's a context to our lives. And there are a lot of things that God has us busy doing engaged with. And as I said, every one of our lives are unique, beautiful, uh, different. And within this, uh, these eight verses, I think, are found the message about how we look at and find a priority for the various activities that life requires. It says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So can you, do you get the theme, the, the message there that the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to convey? That in its season, there is a time for every activity under heaven. We have to be discerning of where we are in our lives? What season are we in? What is this moment that we are in saying to us? What is the significance that we can give to it by being obedient to God? Jesus said, and we'll conclude here, Jesus said, 
as he wept over Jerusalem. He looked down from, from the Mount of Olives upon the city of Jerusalem and he wept. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who, who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How many times I longed to come to you and gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. But you would not have it. But now destruction is destined for you because you did not recognize or understand or discern the time of my coming. So here's the thing. We give our time unto God because God wants to be a part of what we are doing. We need to be discerning about our time, wise about our time, circumspect about our time, because God is trying to come into it. Just as He tried to come into Jerusalem. Don't be like Jerusalem that would not have it. Open up your life. Be discerning about what the Lord's will is for you what that great masterpiece of your life looks like. Don't let your life be wasted. And at the end of it, say, oh my gosh, what have I done with my days? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have been given time. It is a gift, and it is a gift that is rapidly slipping away from each one of us. And Lord, I pray that the love that you have shed abroad in our hearts for you would just begin to, to grow. And just as a husband and a wife long to be with one another, so too, Lord, may we just desire to spend our time wisely with you. There is a season for every purpose under heaven. Lord, let us make each of those seasons fruitful because of your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, let's stand and we'll sing the concluding hymn.